Good morning. In our continuation on the last, or on the uh, uh, the book of Exodus, uh, this week we're going to go over the final plague on Egypt, or the last plague. Last week we added to our knowledge of God as we considered the plagues of Egypt. Uh, the purpose for hardening the heart of Pharaoh was to allow for opportunities for God to make Himself known. God made himself known to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God made himself known to Moses and the Israelites. Through the plagues on Egypt, God made himself known to the entire world. In fighting against the Lord, Pharaoh helped in making the Lord known. The Lord even had Moses give that information to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh proceeded to continue fighting against God, which aided the Lord in becoming more known. In trying to fight against God, Pharaoh was just helping God along. God can do that. Look in Exodus 9.16. This is, this is what the, the message that the Lord gave to Moses to give to Pharaoh. So in saying this to Pharaoh, Moses said, But for this purpose, I, talking about the Lord, have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. He gave that information to Pharaoh. He, Pharaoh was told, look, I raised you up, buddy, for my purpose. Pharaoh didn't think that's what was going on. Pharaoh thought he was doing what he wanted to do. But he's being told, no, this was, this was, this was God's plan, to raise you up so that uh, the name of the Lord could be proclaimed in all the earth. Proverbs 16.4 has this. It says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. You see, nobody's life is worthless. You can always be used as a bad example. God will use the wicked as a canvas for his righteous judgment. And Pharaoh fits the bill. As Moses was being exposed to the knowledge of God, he grew in faith and obedience. As Pharaoh was being exposed to the knowledge of God, his pride and arrogance led to continued disobedience. We covered the first nine plagues, and today we'll study the tenth, the last plague on Egypt. When we last left Moses and Pharaoh, they were not getting along. Pharaoh had proposed an unsatisfactory compromise that was rejected outright by Moses because the compromise did not meet God's demand. Pharaoh shouted and threatened Moses. In Exodus 10.28, it says, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care to never see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you will die. I've never had that conversation before. Moses agreed with Pharaoh that there will be no more discussion once Moses left Pharaoh's presence. But Moses had one final proclamation before the final plague. The Lord's final proclamation, look at Exodus 11.1. 1, and we'll be going mostly over this morning uh, chapters 11 and, and parts of 12. So if you want to just 
hang out there in your Bible. Uh, if, we, if we go someplace else, uh, I'll, I'll put it up on the screen. Exodus 11.1, 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Uh, probably picked up on this, but I, I hadn't mentioned this specifically. Uh, you notice that the, the request all throughout this is let, let the people go for what purpose? Let us go out into the wilderness to, to worship our God, to perform the sacrifices uh, that, that, God, that God demands. It, it was never presented to Pharaoh, let the people go forever back to the promised land. Right? It was never presented that way to, to Pharaoh. And, uh, and now the Lord tells Moses, you know, requesting this to be able to go out into the wilderness and to sacrifice and, and worship and serve the Lord, he's going to get rid of you completely. You know, Pharaoh wasn't agreeing to the three-day journey. But at the end of this last plague, Pharaoh's saying, go away and never return. Uh, so a step further than, than even what uh, was presented to Pharaoh. The one more plague that's mentioned here is new information. Moses didn't know how many plagues were coming in this process. The information that Pharaoh would drive the Israelites out of the land after stubbornly refusing to let them go, that's old news. But the new news is that this is the final one. The Lord is letting Moses know that the time of their release is right around the corner. Because their freedom from Egyptian oppression is to soon be realized, God gives this instruction for the Israelites. In verses 2 and 3, it says, Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of all the people. After reading this account, I had a moment of self-reflection. I believe they call it even perhaps an epiphany. On a few occasions, when I have been invited over to someone's home, I've received gifts at the end of the evening. Could it be that they were just trying to get rid of me? That's what, the, that's what the Egyptians are doing, is uh, go ahead and ask them. They say, oh, that's a nice silver brooch you have there. Mind if I have it? Why, that sure, my mom didn't raise me like that, right? But that's what the Lord tells them to do. There are a few reasons why this information is important. Back in Genesis 15, hundreds of years earlier than, than uh, the time of Moses uh, with Pharaoh, while cutting the covenant with Abraham, um, where God formalized a special relationship with, with Abraham and his descendants, God gave a bit of prophetic information. So hundreds of years before, with Abraham, here's what the Lord told Abraham. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. To Abraham, hundreds of years before the, the, uh, the Israelites are entering the, are, are enslaved in Egypt, 
the Lord told Abraham that his descendants would live in a land that is not theirs. He told them that Abraham's descendants would be slaves. He told them that the nation that enslaved them would receive God's judgment. And lastly, he told them that Abraham's descendants would leave the land with great wealth. So my question to you, knowing that this was spoken to Abraham hundreds of years before, uh, before this was realized in the day of Moses, did God ever lose control of the situation? Absolutely not. I prefer not to preach current events when possible, uh, but everything that happened to Israel is exactly what God said would happen in that day, right? The atrocity of what occurred in Israel recently is not evidence that God lost control. Believing that God is in control motivates us for righteous action. There's a minor prophet, a book called Habakkuk, and this isn't in my notes, this is free. Uh, Habakkuk looked at the land of, of Israel and saw how wicked people were. He saw the atrocities, he saw the wickedness of the Israelites. Uh, and he, he cries out to God, how long, how long, God, are you going to allow these people to live in their wickedness? And God said, that's a great question. I have an army that's coming that's going to, to uh, judge. And he told them what army it was. And Habakkuk said, you can't do that. They're more wicked than we are. Was that time during the Assyrians taking over the northern kingdom and the Babylonians taking over, over both? Was that evidence that God had lost control? Would people in that time have thought God lost control? Yeah. But God hasn't lost control. He didn't lose control in Egypt. He didn't lose control in the day of Habakkuk. And he hasn't lost control today. God did not lose control. But believing that God is in control motivates us for righteous action. Faith isn't just sitting there doing nothing. If you go through Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. Faith leads to action. It isn't just sitting around. When we trust the Lord, sometimes the Lord says wait. Right? Sometimes the Lord says wait. But, but trusting the Lord is... is um, it's an act of faith, right, with the idea of, of doing something. Back in Exodus, when the Lord tells Moses to tell the people to ask every Egyptian for their silver and gold, the people will do that because they believe what God said. That's called faith. There's another reason for God's instruction being recorded, and we're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, if I forget, let me know, all right? But uh, uh, that's, that's the intention. Well, the heated conversation continues, uh, in verse 4, we are back to the heated argument between Moses and Pharaoh, where Pharaoh threatened to kill Moses if he ever were to see Moses again. Pharaoh spoke his piece, and Moses speaks on behalf of the Lord. So I, I believe this is the, the same conversation, that there was a pause there where, where God spoke to, to Moses in his heart and, and gave him this, this information, and that Moses is, is still in the presence of, of Pharaoh. Uh, as there are others who, who disagree with me, and none of us will be kept out of heaven because of this. Uh, it's, it's just uh, 
as I read it, this is what makes sense to me, that it was the same conversation with that, with that small pause. Uh, in ele- Exodus 11, verses 4 through 8, so Moses said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast. Why? That you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all your people who follow you. After that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Moses tells Pharaoh concerning the final plague in which all the firstborn of Egypt will die, from the greatest in the land to the least in the land, people and cattle. Why would God do this? Well, first of all, there's this important truth. Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. God has the right. It is his breath that he placed into Adam, and he can take his breath back anytime he wants. God has the ability. All the pagan Egyptian gods in which the Egyptians placed their trust could not protect them from the mighty hand of God. It is good for us to remember that bad things happen when we place our trust, trust that should be reserved for God alone, into people or things instead of the God who resides in the heavens. But also, why would God do this? Pharaoh was warned when Moses first approached him that the Lord would treat Pharaoh and his people the same way Pharaoh treated Israel, who God called the Lord's firstborn son. That was told to Pharaoh, and all the way back in Exodus Exodus 4, verses 21 through 23, uh, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Did the Lord give Pharaoh a warning? Yes, he did from the very beginning. And then he gives him another warning right before the plague, saying this is what is going to happen. There was still knowledge to be gained in the final plague for Pharaoh. Egypt would suffer, and the cries of anguish would come from all over Egypt. Every home would have screams of suffering. But in the homes of the Israelites would come the silence of sweet rest and peace. The knowledge that Pharaoh would gain would be this, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. There is a distinction between the saved and the unsaved, the redeemed and the lost. Even though this is the last plague, 
we do see that there are some new things. The Lord introduces a lot of new things, and those are in your, your bulletin notes to, to, to fill in the space if you, if you feel that you must. In Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of, in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So what we have is a new calendar. God institutes a new calendar. God says, from now on, this is the first month of the year. Uh, why does God institute a new calendar for Israel? In other parts of the world, when they write down their birthday, they do it all wrong. Did you know that? They give day, month, and then year. <clears throat> what are they thinking? I don't know. Imagine changing our forms to match their way when you go to the DMV and, and you write, get their form, and they want you to write 18-4-1965. That's weird. That's strange. Uh, I, I, I even hate it when we change for daylight savings. Even that is too much uh, uh, of a change for me. But now Israel has a whole new calendar. There are a couple of reasons for instituting a new calendar. What was the calendar they were using during that moment? It was a, an Egyptian calendar. Uh, we look at history, and, and quite often, how did, they, how did you know what day it was? Well, in the fourth year of the reign of such and such, right? And, uh, and we correctly just said, you know what? We're just going to do it in, in, the, in the year of the Lord, Right? Here's, here is the day that matters, uh, and, uh, and we're just going to, to keep it that. Uh, they would have had to, the, the, the Egyptian calendar, which would have been based on Egyptian deities, uh, and it would have been based on, on, uh, on what Pharaoh was ruling at the time, and they worshipped Pharaoh and his son as gods as well. So it, would have, it was a, a false religious system that the calendar was based on. Uh, now, we have, so we have a new calendar for that. Uh, we have friends that uh, adopted, this was years ago, adopted, a, at the time she was a, a little girl from, from Russia, um, and she was about three or four years old when, when she arrived. Uh, our friends intended to help her retain her Russian language while she learned English. They didn't, they didn't want her to lose uh, her, her Russian heritage or, you know, you have this language to be able to continue speaking it. Uh, but what they didn't expect is that their little girl wanted nothing to do with maintaining her Russian language. And that really surprised her because they thought, you know, this is the language you know and this would be a comfort. She wanted nothing to do with it. And they were confounded by that. Um, and, and I told them it made perfect sense for me. Uh, and, uh, and here's my thinking on it. She was an underfunded orphanage in Russia. She was hungry and lonely in Russia. Life changed radically when she got to the States. She received great medical care, ate great food in abundance, and she was loved by a family. Why would she want to retain the language where life was so much more difficult? Why would Israel want a calendar tied to their oppression? This is the calendar of slaves. And that brings us to our next new thing. 
The Lord was giving them a new identity. They have a new calendar because they have a new identity. They are no longer slaves. They are the blessed people of God, a people for God's own possession. Now, I promised to address a second reason why chapter 11 was important. The Israelites leaving Egypt with their wealth were not leaving as slaves. They got paid. Uh, They left with wealth. Israel needed to no longer see themselves as slaves, but to see themselves as blessed. If you always see yourself as being oppressed, you will always act like oppressed people. Here's a warning. That is what happens with the Israelites in the book of Exodus and Numbers. They never embrace their new identity. They keep acting like oppressed people. They continue to act like oppressed people instead of people that have been blessed by God. Believer, let's be careful that that does not happen to us. In Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The person who has been redeemed by Christ is no longer a slave to sin. The believer is a new creation. Paul wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's important that we recognize that, believer, that that's what we were. But now we are what God says we are. And even though I struggle with that that sin nature within me, I look forward to the day when that's not going to be the case anymore. But I'm no longer a slave to sin. I, I, I still sin, but now I do it as a choice. Maybe I preferred being a slave so I had an excuse. No, I don't prefer being a slave, right? I don't prefer being a slave. Uh, I say that because we're going to get to a part pretty soon where the, the blessed people of God say, oh man, if we could only go back to Exodus when life was so good. You can't, and why would you want to? Why would you want to go back to that? We are a new creation. We also have some new instruction here in Exodus 12, 3 through 6. It says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, (coughs) according to what each can eat, and you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. That's new information. Um, And with that comes a new menu. A new menu. Uh, More instruction is is given on on this meal. 
uh, and its instructions. What, what instructions did you get when, when you were growing up concerning meals? Uh, chew with your mouth closed, right? Uh, say please and thank you. Um, get your elbows off the table. You weren't raised in a barn. Uh, I had three older brothers, um, you know, so it was, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of conversation because your chances of getting seconds diminished uh, if you uh, told your parents about your day. We can eat first, talk second later. We, we, had, um, we had a rule, uh, I think it started out in, in, um, uh, with Hitler. Um, <laughs> if you complained about the food in front of you, you got a second helping. Uh, anybody else raised that way? Yeah, oh my goodness. So many times I took a mouthful of food and had to go to the bathroom and spit it out. And my parents probably thought I was having digestional issues. I walked into the bathroom so much with some of those meals. But you never complained, right? We have these rules. Look at these. Look at these rules, how this meal is supposed to be eat, eaten. Exodus 12, 7 says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Never had to take animal blood and paint it on my doorposts. They hadn't either. This, don't, don't think that, like, we read it and we think it's like, oh yeah, that's what they did back then. No, it wasn't. This is very different. It says, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted with the, on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. No leftovers. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I remember when uh, some, of my, some of the kids, not all the kids, but some of the kids, they wanted to do things after dinner. And it was like they wanted to get there and, and just eat dinner as fast as they could. And, uh, and that, that, always, that was one of those things. No, sit down, take it easy, be with the family. Um, you know, it's, it's like they... They would have preferred to eat at the counter, I think, so that they could get, no, we're, 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 having, we're having a meal. We're not here, God is saying, eat it like you're ready to leave. Eat it like you're ready to leave. And it goes on in verse 12. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, It says, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I mentioned this last week that every one of these plagues was, uh, uh, didn't just tell us about who the Lord was, but it was also showing that whatever God of Egypt that the, uh, the Egyptians and Pharaoh trusted, it showed that your, your, your trust placed in them was worthless. Uh, and, uh, and that continues for, for all ten plagues. Uh, it says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will, what? Pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
That is why the Passover meal is called Passover. Right? If you were unfamiliar with that, you have heard of, of the Passover meal, it's because when the angel, it's really God says, I am the Lord, I will do this, but it also refers to the, the angel of destruction, so we see that those are, are the same thing. It says, when I see the blood from the lamb on the doorposts, right, which is an act of faith, right? It says, if I do this, I, I, you will not get judgment. Now, the Israelites could have said, how is lamb blood on my door going to keep me from ha- losing my son? That's silly. That's ridiculous. I'm not falling for that. That's just people trying to control you and trying to tell you what to do when you don't really need to do it. But if you trusted what the Lord said and what Moses said the Lord said, you would go ahead and, and take a hyssop branch and put the blood on the doorposts and, and uh, above the door because they were told, if you do that, I will pass over your house. You won't receive this judgment, this final plague. So paint the doorframe with the blood of the lamb to be eaten. It's a roasted lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. No leftovers. Share with another household if necessary. Uh, Eat the special meal wearing a belt fastened, shoes on, and have your walking stick in hand. Eat this special meal with a sense of urgency. And the special meal is called Passover. Verses 12 through 13, which we, we just read, again, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. The Lord instituted a new tradition. A new tradition. Look at verse 14. It says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Why? Why have this new tradition? We're told in verses 25 through 27, it says, and when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. So this meal was meant to memorialize how the Lord spared them when he passed over their houses upon seeing the Passover lamb's blood covering their doorposts. The Egyptians were not spared. The tradition was to continue so that their kids would partake of the Passover and ask questions as to why they were doing certain things during the meal. It gave the parents the opportunity to share in the goodness of God and how God redeemed his people. Believer, we also have a Passover lamb. Here are the verses that I'm going to read through, if you want to put them in your, in your notes to, to look at. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. During our study in Genesis, 
Abraham took his one and only son to the future city of Jerusalem. Uh, the city didn't exist yet, uh, but it would be the future place that uh, Jerusalem would reside. And he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. When Isaac noticed that they had everything they needed to offer a sacrifice, except one thing, a lamb. When asked about that, Abraham prophetically said that the Lord would provide himself a lamb. That's Genesis 22:8. It says, and Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. For their sacrifice, God didn't provide a lamb, but rather he provided a ram. The lamb that God would provide was still to come. When Jesus began his ministry, he was walking by where John the Baptist was standing. John gets the attention of some of the disciples that were standing, and he said something very interesting to them. John 1.29, it says, The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, pointing this out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Peter wrote this to the churches in the first century that were not bought with perishable items. In 1 Peter 1.9, it says, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Again, referring to Jesus as the perfect lamb whose precious blood was spilt. Christ is our one-time sacrifice. Hebrews 10.10 says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's very important that you understand this. We do not partake of the actual flesh and blood of Christ. Why does it matter? Why is that so important? Because Hebrews tells us that Jesus' sacrifice was what? Once for all. We don't need to put him on the cross again. Because there's nothing left to be accomplished. Jesus said... One of the last words he said is, it is finished. You know how you can accurately translate, translate that? Paid in full. One day I hope to get my mortgage where it says paid in full. Some of you have already experienced that. I can't imagine how wonderful that will be. Jesus said, paid in full. <clears throat> we don't kill him again. We commemorate the sacrifice he already made. Remember I said that one of the first reasons the Lord gave is why do, you, why do you have this Passover meal? So that the kids will say, why do we do this? And you'll be able to, to answer. I was told a, a story about a, a young married couple where um, she made a, a, a roast and, uh, and put it in the oven and and got it out, and uh, her, her new husband said, why do you cut off the ends of the roast? And she said, I don't know. That, I, that's just what my mom did. So she called up and said, Mom, why, why do we cut the ends off of our roast? And she said, I don't know. That's just what my mom always did. So they called her up, and they said, why did you cut the, the, the ends of the roast off? And she said, well, my pan was too small, and that was the only way I could get it to fit in. 
We can't do that when it comes to our walk with Christ. We don't just do things and have no idea and then when we ask, say, well, you just need to accept it by faith. You know, we're supposed to ask questions. That's the intention that God had for the Passover meal. It wasn't quit asking, this is just how we do it, quit, you know, just have faith, just do what we do. No, it was for the opportunity of saying, well, that's a great question. This works the same way. Uh, my kids, when they were young, would go to, go to children's church during the service, and they would get to the age where, where they would, uh, would come to the service. And every single one of them, the first time we had, had communion, we never told them about it. They were never here to see it. They were young. And every single one of them said, when they saw it, like, this is, why do we do this? I didn't tell them to shut up and just by faith do what we do. No, this was the what? The opportunity to share the goodness of Jesus Christ. Right? And it's a very tangible way, a very tangible way. Uh, the Passover meal was a very tangible way. Maybe one day we, we need to study and do a, a Seder dinner uh, here and, and, uh, uh, and go over some of the things of, of why they did what they did so that we can go over and understand God better in a very tangible way. But Jesus was our sacrifice once for all. We don't have to put him on the cross. He rose from the grave. Hebrews 10.14 says this, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Not only is our salvation dependent upon the blood of Jesus Christ, but our sanctification is as well. It is a correct thing to say this. I have been saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. And all of that is accomplished through Jesus Christ. And not on me. That is the Passover. And there's a whole lot more and we'll, we'll touch on it more as we continue to go through Exodus. Um, but what do we take from this? What I want us to take from this is to see that this is a picture of what is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Isn't it great to study the Old Testament? Because it gives me confidence in Jesus Christ and what he's done for me and for my salvation. And, I, and because I have confidence in that, I have the ability to share it with a world that desperately needs to be redeemed from their sin. And they'll never be redeemed following a false religion. They'll never be redeemed because of their own goodness. Their redemption, they will only be bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is all that will satisfy. And we see that consistent message from the beginning of the book to the very end. And to God be the glory for that. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning once again amazed by your power and might, by your wisdom and knowledge, by your love for us, that you set up this picture uh, amongst the Israelites thousands of years ago that would point us to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world because of his shed blood. He was that perfect, sinless sacrifice that paid my sin guilt, my sin penalty of death. And Father, that you've required that I simply trust by faith 
in the finished work of Christ. To receive that salvation, to receive that forgiveness, to be redeemed by you for all eternity because of Christ, the one-time sacrifice. Father, help us to, uh, to grow in certainly our knowledge of God, <coughs> to grow in our appreciation of the salvation that you made possible through Jesus Christ, that we will share it with others who need to know. We ask this in the name of our Savior who loved us enough to die for us, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.